So, so I don't have a bad story for you. Oh. But I kind of have something tangential to it. Okay. Because recently we had Groundhog Day. So we did. We watched Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Because last year we watched Groundhog Day in space. And so it was back to regular Groundhog Day. <laughs> And I've told you before that one of the things I do is sometimes when I'm going to bed, I'm like, I'm going to just tell myself a story. That's mm-hmm. where most of the bad story ideas come from. Right? Okay. I, in my head, did a whole sequel to Groundhog Day. Whole sequel to Groundhog Day. Yep. It was a lot of Here, fun. Let me ask. Mm-hmm. I assume I know the answer because yes. I consider Groundhog Day to be arguably the greatest fantasy movie of all time. Okay. When you watched it, did it hold up for you? Absolutely. Loved every minute of it. There we go. Great performances. Like the screenplay is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely hold up. It's one of those movies that I could watch. I can't watch a lot of movies over and over again, Mm -hmm. but if I can be watching technical details and just how they did the narrative in interesting ways, I really like Groundhog Day. Do you think that you like Groundhog Day in part because it is a roguelike? Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Oh, a nice callback to a previous episode. It is basically life the roguelike. But I went through a whole, and I did it my way. This isn't how I would actually do a sequel to Groundhog Day. I wouldn't because Groundhog Day doesn't need a sequel, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the actual answer. Mm-hmm. But as a person, I always like it when the magic doesn't go away. I don't want the world to become a less magical place. So in my version of it, he realizes that he has to get every day perfect and he can't move on from each day until he gets every day perfect. And I, you know, kind of was going on, what are the mechanics of this? What's his life like that if each day he has to repeat and what does perfect mean and all of that stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Okay. But it got Hmm. me thinking about adaptation and realized we haven't talked about adaptations. We haven't really talked about Mm -hmm. adaptation, but before we we leave the topic, I want to ask you about other Groundhog Day style stories. Okay. Which are rare, but they're around. Like, yes. did you watch Palm Springs? I, Palm I have Beach not or whatever seen it was? any of the others. I haven't seen okay. Happy Death Day. I haven't seen Palm Springs. I've only seen the two that I mentioned, Groundhog Day and Groundhog Day in Space. I haven't yeah. read any of the precursor stories because apparently- was Groundhog Day in Space? Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, that's right. Yeah. Okay. It's not actually in space. Groundhog yeah, Day in the future. very clearly yeah. a roguelike yes. with, with no question. The one that I'm going to just- Mm-hmm. pitch to you and then yeah. not talk about because I want you to watch it unspoiled yeah. or untrammeled mm-hmm. is a Netflix series called Russian Doll. Okay. It's about like it. eight or 10 episodes mm-hmm. long. I know you in general are not really a TV guy. But I do like things with eight or 10 episodes. That yeah. that I do like. Eight or 10 episodes, mm-hmm. very clear story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do the thing where it resets the status quo at the beginning, which is kind of Mm-hmm. Most TV doesn't do that anymore, but genuinely one of the greatest TV shows that I've seen in years. Great. Years. Really loved it. And in particular, the the very specific twist that they put they on, on the, the Groundhog Day mm-hmm. style thing. Yeah. I adore it. Anyway, let's move on. Talk about adaptation. Yeah, so. I would like to write one of these someday, but I don't know if I ever could just because Groundhog Day is one of those, such a defining part Mm -hmm. of the genre and unfairly so perhaps because I know like I said there are tons of precursors and things like that but it's so good I mean it's Harold Ramey at his absolute best and I don't know that I could ever do something that I would feel comfortable releasing as just oh Brandon's doing a Groundhog Day you know yeah but well that's why you know if you Mm -hmm. think of it not as a Groundhog Day pastiche but as a roguelike yes that you are going to Right. Fictionalize. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that would the be mental the mental hurdle to so to clear. Idea. 
Let's talk about adaptations, though, okay. because this is kind of a sideways look at it. Um, but we uh, we want to talk about the best books to film. The best our book to film team. adaptations. Yes. Okay. But I want to start our discussion by saying, what does best mean well, in this context? Yes, because mm. I think an argument could be made for a number of different things. Mm-hmm. Is a good adaptation one that is so good it is literally better than the book? Yes. Or is a good adaptation one that recreates the experience you had while watching the book or watching reading the book? book? Yes. I watch a lot of books. Mm-hmm. They're on my nightstand. I'm never going to get to them. <laughs> What's on your nightstand right now that you're never getting to? Do you oh, have actually anything on there? I've got uh, Bone Crier's Moon by Katie okay. Purdy, and I've got a Star Trek novel by John Jackson Miller, mm-hmm. and I've got two or three other fantasies that I can't remember the names of. Mm. I've got a big stack of fantasy that I'm trying to read. I've got uh, Leatherbound of the Martian Chronicles that I keep Ooh. meaning to read, but then I'm like, ah, there's always something that I need to read mm-hmm. instead of going back to Ray Bradbury. So yeah. it's been there for quite a while. But so I would say that there is a nuance to this also that you're not getting at, which is the movie inspired by the book that goes a completely different direction. Yeah. Right? Well, we kind of talked about that, that before. Time discussion. When we had a whole talk about, you know, what's a, what's a bad adaptation. Yes. And so let's not repeat ourselves too much, mm-hmm. but that is got to be part of this, yeah. right? But let's just kind of focus. Okay, so so let's start our discussion with what's actually kind of a weird corner case, mm-hmm. Fight Club. Fight Club, yes. Which is a brilliant movie mm-hmm. that is based on a brilliant book. Yes. It does change the ending, mm-hmm. and very notably, the Chinese version of the this is awesome. thing yeah. that censors mm-hmm. the ending is actually much closer to the book. Is it? Yes. They reversed that, you know. Yesterday. Did they? Did they yeah. take it out? They, they reversed the, the... If you didn't know, uh, it's so hilarious. They <laughs> censored the end of Fight Club in China with just a black screen that says, and they were all caught by the police, the end. Yeah, like, they've got what's comically. basically like a, an yeah. old Hayes Code kind yes. of thing mm-hmm. that's still in place where law enforcement has to win yeah. and you know badness must be punished. And so at the end of Fight Club, instead of blowing up all the buildings and everything goes crazy... It is. It cuts to a you know silent movie style title card that says, "Don't worry, they were all caught, and they feel very bad about their crimes or whatever." Yeah. Have you ever seen the? Um, ooh, tangent. Have you ever seen the? <laughs> uh, I think they're Victorian, but I could be wrong. Somewhere late 1700s, up to early 1900s, England adaptations of Shakespeare's plays where they. The side of the tragedies were too tragic, no. and they rewrote the endings. I got shown one in my Shakespeare class at BYU, a modern mm-hmm. redoing of this just so that they could capture it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it was Romeo and Juliet. And at the end, they sat up and monologued about everything they'd learned, and everything was happily ever after, and the <laughs> families agreed to let them get married. Oh, man. It was great. That's oh, – see, <laughs> we can laugh about those yes. because – out of historical context, that's yeah. hilarious. Right. Inside of historical context, if you are in yes. modern China or if yes. you are in Hayes Code America or if you are in Victorian England where there is a specific morality so prevalent that it starts suffocating art, 
Yes. That's not as funny. You are correct. But way it's bring still the house, very funny. Uh, down. Well, the <laughs> yeah. house down's the wrong term. Sorry. Way, way to bring the room down. But, I know. Yeah. So, yeah, but in uh, mm-hmm. Fight Club, yeah. in the book, which is also wonderful, in the end, they don't blow everything up. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, he, you know, is in therapy. He's in a mental hospital being treated for his schizophrenia. Okay. And it is a powerful ending in a very different kind of way. Yeah. And this what Chinese do you version think about that goes back to it. What do I think? Yeah. I think that, you know, and a lot of my ideas about adaptation are mm-hmm. colored by the fact that I have had a book adapted. Yes. And going through that process and mm-hmm. realizing the end of the serial killer book would not work on film. Mm-hmm. And the end of the serial killer movie would not work in a book. And I can kind of see that same thing going on with Fight Club. If you get to the end of that big, bombastic movie and he just ends up getting caught and going into therapy. Right. It, you you have a Monty Python, the Holy Grail ending, but played straight. You know, the book makes it work and the book makes it work well. Mm-hmm. But I can absolutely understand why the screenwriter and the director said, no, you know what? We need to just go big or go home on this. And I have stated before that I am... Okay with changes to source material, mm-hmm. even sweeping big ones in adaptation in service of the new story that's being told, because I don't think you changed the story, but I am more persuaded than I used to be along the more orthodox lines, looking at things like uh, Game of Thrones and saying, you know, there is something to be said for the author knew what they were doing. They wrote a book that people love. Let's actually make that Let's Um, do that thing. So let's hear an example. What's something that for you walks that line between being a really good adaptation for a new medium and a new audience that is also very true to the original? I mean, The Princess Bride is the classic example, but you can't get better than the screenwriter's book being adapted by the screenwriter to Mm -hmm. film by someone who obviously is working very close with them to make it work. The Princess Bride is like the er example of, hey, this is the book only in a different medium, so doing slightly different things and equally lovable. In fact, fixes the biggest problem with the book, which is we've talked about the frame story in the book is kind of dreadful. Mm -hmm. Well, and am I incorrect? I have always thought, and maybe this is Mm -hmm. just an urban legend, that the book was kind of written as a film treatment I mean, with the intention of being adapted. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. I don't know for sure. Okay. I do know that Michael Crichton famously started writing books because he wanted to get into film and no one was giving his screenplays any mm-hmm. credibility. So he wrote books because authors have more credibility, novelists have more credibility, and then used that to get them adapted. Yeah. I do know that Cormac McCarthy wrote... No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. specifically as this is going to be made into a movie. I'm I'm writing a film treatment, ah, and cool. that one. I mean, mm-hmm. that's we is that, said is that this your number one last time. No, it's your number two, right? I don't because <laughs> Jaws is based on a book. Jaws is also uh-huh. for me the er example of a movie that is a million times better than the book it's based on. I haven't actually read Jaws. I read Beast. Um, You're not missing out. I mean, Peter mm-hmm. Benchley is he clearly is a good storyteller, mm-hmm. and he did a good job, and he came up with a really cool story. It is over-bloated. It has all kinds of weird stuff. It has an entire subplot where the sheriff's wife is cheating on him with mm-hmm. somebody, and like, eh. Right. But, you know, 
it is absolutely the kind of story that benefits from being greatly pared down mm-hmm. into movie form. Not everything does. If you're going to pick like the most agreed upon number one example of this, it's going to be the Godfather series, I would think. Almost certainly. Right? Yeah. Because I have not read those books, but a lot of people say the books are fine and the movies are these absolute cinematic masterpieces, right? Mm -hmm. Which I would agree with. They're just, you know, one and two, you know. One and Uh, a half of two, uh, I'll give you. (laughs) Okay. Um, Are really, really fantastic, interesting movies. And they're that same era, right? They're that era of we're going to take the pulp story and we're going to elevate them and we're going to put one part blockbuster, one part pulp, one part some really great filmmaking prowess. And Mm -hmm. it's... You know, it's what gave rise to Jaws and to that and to Star Wars, which didn't have explicit yeah. source material, but is basically the same yeah, sort of thing. but we're going to take pulp and turn it into art. I mean, yeah. wiser men than either of us yeah. have, have done entire, you know, academic mm-hmm. treatises on yes. the freedom of cinema in the 70s and yes. all the awesomeness that it gave rise to. Yes. How about now Michael Crichton yes. is a good example he is. What about Jurassic Park? So I prefer the movie. Yeah. Agreed. Same. I really like Michael Crichton. I have not read a book by him that I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. thoroughly. But there is not the heart in Jurassic Park the book. Jurassic Park the book. Granted, now I've read it a couple of times, but I'm a distance from it. So mm-hmm. commenters, if I get some things wrong, I apologize. But it lacks the heart. It's more brutal, more deaths. More chaos theory, sort of, we have opened Pandora's box and we deserve to be punished. Yeah. And Spielberg is just able to add heart to it in just this magnificent way. It's it's unfair to compare any source material to <laughs> Spielberg, right? Because he is so good. He is the greatest living filmmaker, in my opinion. And that that is arguably the most controversial statement we've ever made on this show, because a lot of people really don't like him because they perceive him to be very schlocky, Mm -hmm. you know, and adding in heart instead of sticking to the brutal original. You know, I I don't know if it's the prevailing opinion, but it's a very common opinion that he's kind of a hack. I disagree. Okay. I think some of my very favorite movies of all time are Spielberg. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is, I think, because we were all kids in the 80s and we grew up on E.T. and stuff like that. That's true. But I mean, I love his modern films as much, right? Mm -hmm. Lincoln's one of my top 10 films of all time. Yeah. And granted, that's uh, not as modern anymore since it's probably over a decade old now. Mm -hmm. But I think Spielberg is amazing. And so comparing anything to that is very difficult. I think Jurassic Park is a very good book. Yeah, it is a good book, but you can see a lot of, I think a lot of the changes that Spielberg made to it Mm -hmm. are very clear. I don't want to say obvious because I don't know if anybody else would have made them. But for example, having Grant in the book, he loves kids because kids love dinosaurs. And that's cool. And that's a nice cuddly thing, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't give him any room to grow. Yeah. And so Spielberg taking that away and Mm -hmm. saying, no, he hates kids. And his character arc is that he's going to come to care for them. Yep. That is what suddenly injects heart into an otherwise very technical story. The card in an elevator. (laughs) Sorry, Star Trek reference there. But yeah, I mean, so I love Jurassic Park. I do not like Jurassic World very much. No, I haven't enjoyed any of the sequels to Jurassic Mm. Park. It's just Jurassic World is fine, but 
it's what happens when you take Spielberg out of the movie, right? You end Mm -hmm. up with monster movie. Yeah. Which is fine. It's a competent monster movie with a bunch of weird decisions that bother me, but this is not a Jurassic World conversation, but yeah. Okay. Let me ask Mm -hmm. another potentially controversial one. Yes. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. I see Blade Runners, I think an excellent example of the filmmaker goes a different direction, changes some fundamental things Mm -hmm. and makes a great film. I don't think Blade Runner, the book, like most Philip K. Dick, would make a very good straight adaptation, depending on your enjoyment of Through a Scanner Darkly or Through a Glass Darkly. Yeah. The um, Scanner Darkly yeah. is my favorite mm-hmm. Philip K. Dick book and my favorite Philip K. Dick movie. I think they did a brilliant job right. of it. It is also, in my opinion, the only faithful adaptation yes. he's ever gotten. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I bring it up, because yeah. like, if you're going to adapt Philip K. Dick, here you go. <laughs> It's a fever dream. <laughs> Real weird, artsy, and granted, not all Philip K. Dick stories were that way, but a lot of them were. And the ones that aren't are jokes, right? Like, yeah. we can remember it for you wholesale is two pages of a really great punchline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think actually his most filmable, cinematic, right off the shelf story is Paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that movie is awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know the screenwriter on that one. Then I will not say and, anything uh, bad had, about he, that person. He, he has things to say about- About studio interference? Yes. I'm not surprised. But regardless- What about Minority Report, which I is think, a Spielberg? Yeah, I think it's a good movie. It's really like a very it. good movie. Is it better than Minority Report, the short story? I cannot remember. I did go read it. I can't remember what I thought of it. Mm. But I mean, I love Blade Runner, the movie. Mm-hmm. It is a real weird movie. So I understand there are people who do not like it, and I'm totally, totally cool with you not liking Blade Runner, right? It is slow, but it's my favorite Philip K. Dick adaptation okay. for if, all its flaws. If there is an author, I'm sure that there's data mm-hmm. on this somewhere, but in my opinion, Philip K. Dick gets adapted into screen a ton. Maybe maybe more than anybody else. If well, anybody rivals him, maybe Stephen King. Even Ian Fleming? Okay, fine. Does he count? Does he count? Agatha Christie? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Have you seen any of the new Poirot yeah, movies? it's great. I have not yet. I mean, I, I'm classic, really looking forward to the new one that's yeah, coming out. But. The classic Murder on the Orient Express is a classic for a reason. It's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. I happen to really like the way Brana makes m- some of his movies. I was going to say how he makes movies, but there, there's some that I'm <laughs> He's like- He's made eh. a few weird ones. I, I like him as a director a lot, I actually. And his Much Ado About Nothing is fantastic. So I came out of that one preferring it to the old one. Really? And just really liking his Poirot, really liking just how he put it together, and I enjoyed it a lot. Okay, so, so now let's compare it to the original book, though. Yes. I mean, this is going to be a case where I read the book first, and the book is going to- be, it's one of those landmark books, right? Mm-hmm. It's difficult it's, to separate your cultural received knowledge yeah. of the book from your experience of reading. So I'm going to pick book in these cases because I these are films where the film struggles to add anything new. Mm-hmm. It does a really good job of adapting and I really like them. But if you look at Princess Bride, where I actually prefer the movie, mm-hmm. the book has one glaring flaw, and that is that the frame story is 
really hard to read in places. Yeah. And beyond that, the whimsical fun of it being on screen are both things that I think are slightly better than the same thing in book form. Yeah. I think a mystery novel just works better in book form. Works well. It doesn't benefit from the visual medium as well as a cool adventure story does. Exactly. And I mean- Agatha Christie taught me twists, right? Mm-hmm. And Murder on the Orient Express is one of her best. It's one of the things where it's like, I can't give it away because if you haven't seen it, we have a new movie adaptation. You should go see it. Yeah. But she did all three classic mystery twists really well. And that's what taught me kind of the three classic mystery twists. And yeah. Murder on the Orient Express is one of them. And it's perhaps the most powerful of the three classic. I mean, I that's yeah. by the way, don't go look that up and be like, what are the three? I'm defining these as three. I don't know that there's like a magical. Can, can number. you tell us the three with, well, uh, at will, the risk of spoiling? It will, it will give you a big spoilers uh, for three of her most famous stories, right? <laughs> and so, all right, spoilers for Murder on the Express and Agatha Christie for the next minute or so, right? Okay. So the three big twists are nobody did it. Mm-hmm. Everybody did it, and the protagonist did it, right? Yeah. Those are your your three kind of, if you want to go outside the box of which of these people did it, if you want to have a, it's not the normal crew, right? And yeah. so you've got Murder on the Air Express, which is everybody did it, right? This is mm-hmm. the kind of the classic clue, the movies, like everybody has motivation, they all did it. She's the one that did that first for me, Yeah. that everybody killed him. Well, and Murder on the Orient Express, I think, yeah. stands as one of the absolute landmarks of mystery right. fiction in general and will for mm-hmm. hundreds of years, as far as I'm concerned, right. because of the way it handles that specific twist. Right. Of note, I won't say which two, but mm-hmm. Knives Out uses two of the three yes. at the same time. It does. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Yes. So, so if you like those. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's talk about Stephen King, though. Yes. Because I don't think we can talk about adaptations without getting into no. him. Because he's should. almost everything he's ever written has been adapted at some point. Yes. What do you consider? And we've talked, I know, about The Shining before right. and The mm-hmm. Mist. You know, each of them changed the thing drastically. One of them he loves and one of them he hates. Yes. What about the other ones? What about something like Shawshank Redemption? I mean, Shawshank would be my favorite. Like, I would guess that's not a controversial opinion. Probably not. My favorite Stephen King adaptation. I think it's great. I think it's better than the short story, but that's because there's more time, right? Yeah. The short story is, even though, like, it just can't have the weight that the film can in that specific instance. So Mm -hmm. I would pick Shawshank, the movie. Short stories are an interesting one to look at because you get into situations, you know, like we can remember it for you wholesale, where the brevity is what makes it work. Mm -hmm. And then you get something like Shawshank, which is a cool story that absolutely benefits from being deepened and broadened. Did you see new It? I have not seen the new It. Okay, I haven't either. So I, I don't, don't know if we can... I don't love It, the book. Here's is the thing. I, re- I like I, portions yeah, of it. There you go. I like half, maybe, of It, the book. But... I mean, in, it's one big, glaring, horrific thing that yes. should, in oh, yeah. my opinion, almost get it never you know, put out of print. Yes. It's never included in adaptations. Yes, they leave out the sewer scene. Rightly so, Stephen King... Someone should have taken away his cocaine for that day and said, no. (laughs) Or just said, I'm an editor. I'm Uh going to rein you in a little bit. Yes. But beyond that, like it has lots of cool nonlinear storytelling aspects going on that I really like. And other parts just don't work for me. 
Yeah. So I did like the old TV show quite a bit, but I think that's just Tim Curry being Tim Curry. Yeah. Was that a TV show or that was that a movie? Series. That was a miniseries. Television miniseries. Okay. Did you watch The Stand miniseries? I did watch The Stand miniseries. I loved that. Mm, it's good. That's one that I actually liked better than the book. Okay. And the book, again, it's from the same kind mm-hmm. of period of King's career right. where he was writing big, huge things and no one was telling him when to trim it. And so it did benefit from yeah. adaptation because a miniseries gives it room to breathe and gives you time to get into all the complexity while still cutting out the fat. I'll agree with you on that one. I am very fond of The Stand, the book, and I maybe shouldn't be because it has the same problems as it, as you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I just enjoyed that book for just reasons that I'm not sure I can completely identify. Articulate. And that's yeah. fine. Have you watched any of, and I assume the answer is no, yeah. the modern stand TV series? I have not. It is not great. Okay. It does not hold up. Okay. I think that the miniseries did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Of fun note, mm-hmm. the house that they move into, uh-huh. that miniseries was mostly filmed in Salt Lake City. Oh, And the house that they move into where Ruby mm-hmm. lives... That's yep. around the corner, two doors down from my grandparents' house. Okay. And they set up craft services on uh, my grandpa's front really? porch. Really? Mm. Yeah. Isn't that supposed to be Nebraska? I think so. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up in Nebraska, so I'm identifying yeah. Nebraska. But so, there uh, you go. there's all kinds of really recognizable landmarks. If you go back and anyone out there who wants to watch it, like they hold their town hall meetings in the Rio Grande train station that's downtown Salt Lake City. Okay. And a lot of the houses are up in the avenues. The one where there's a big explosion that blows out the windows in like episode six or seven, that was two doors down from my best friend in high school where Mm -hmm. he lived. So yeah. Okay. They uh, asked that family, hey, can we uh, set off a bunch of explosives in your house? It might ruin the carpet and the curtains. And he's like, well, will you replace them? They said, sure. So they remodeled their house on uh, the Stan's operating budget. Okay. Very cool. (laughs) The thing about Stephen King is I feel like you've got a bunch of different eras of King, but two of them are the big bloated Mm -hmm. King, which works well as miniseries as we've talked about. Yeah. Another era is one cool idea taken to just creepy enough a level and then cutting, right? The, mm-hmm. This is your children of the corn and your pet cemetery and these sorts of things. I'd put thinner in that category yeah. too, which had a really bad like made-for-TV movie that I still creeped me the heck out. It was... And I feel like these are about the experience to the point that the short stories work better for me. Mm. Children of the corn is a great example. Mm-hmm. I just, children of the corn I don't think can work as a movie. You have to put too much plot into Children of the Corn in order to make it work as a film. And that's not the point. The point is, oh, and then you're done. (laughs) Yeah. And I just don't think that works in movie form. Mm -hmm. Pet Cemetery obviously has an escalation, so it's different. And so that's really cool. But still, I feel like they add too much plot to some of these. Now, Pet Cemetery is an interesting one to point Mm -hmm. out because, and again, I have no actual data to back this up, but I would suspect... That Pet Cemetery might be his most adapted book. Okay, that I wouldn't it, be surprised. It's come into so many different versions. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things that are clearly based on it, while just yeah. kind of paying lip service to it. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels feels true to me. 
which in the modern era is all that matters. What about Carrie? I am fine with Carrie, both book and film. I have not read Carrie, Mm -hmm. so I can't really speak to its adaptation. But that really early King era, where love the 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 movie, yeah, yeah, doesn't Mm. speak to me the way some others do, but I enjoy it. It is obviously iconic, right? Yeah. Was it Carrie or Cujo that he sold first? That that famous story comes about. I want to say that it was Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's Carrie Cujo or the car one, Christine. It's one of those that, like, maybe there's a story about him throwing it in the garbage and his wife getting it out and something the, like the that. The throwing it in the yeah. garbage one, I think, was Christine. Okay. But I think Carrie was his first actual sale. sale. And, you know, there's stories about his first sale where I, I'm paraphrasing and probably getting this really wrong, where he's on the phone with his agent and the agent's like, um, you know, we got, we got, you know, an offer. It's 400. And King's like, 400 bucks? Wow. It's like, no, 400 grand, Stephen. He's like, oh, oh, uh, okay. That kind of conversation. But that might be apocryphal. So I don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. While we're talking about creepy horror thriller novels. Okay. Have you read any Thomas Harris? Have you read Silence of the Lambs? not read any Thomas Harris. I have only seen the movie. Also, I haven't seen Hannibal or read any of the sequels or anything like that. So I'm not a good- Silence of the Lambs Mm -hmm. is the only one of his books that I've read. Okay. I think I have seen all of the movies. Okay. All of the Clarice Starling and all Mm -hmm. of the Hannibal Lecter movies. But Silence of the Lambs, this isn't necessarily fair because that is, again, one of my top five movies. Mm -hmm. But that is one that I will also say is not only a brilliant adaptation, but Mm -hmm. actually surpasses the book. Okay. What about Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings? Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh. We talked um, about this a little bit yeah. already, so let's not dwell on it too much. This, but. this is tricky to say. I think that the movie trilogy will stand as one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. Very bold. I th- think that's... I'm joking. It's, it's not... It's, yeah. That's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am actually very torn mm. because part of me wants to say that it's better than the books mm-hmm. because the books are full of a lot of unnecessary filler. But Ooh, at the same that's time, controversial. it is controversial mm-hmm. because everyone loves those books. I love those books. Yep. I, at the time reading them, did not think any of it was unnecessary filler. Yep. And so I think where I'm going to land eventually is, you know, like I said with Serial Killer, the book version of Lord of the Rings would not work as a movie. And the movie version of Lord of the Rings would not work as a book. Okay. They are really Wonderful versions of the same story. Well, that's a very political way to dodge that question. Well done. (laughs) I will will give a thumbs up to that. I want to take us down the rabbit hole of tragedy adaptations. Okay. But I feel like we've talked about this a lot, right? Like the really bad adaptations? The things that should have been good that weren't. Adaptations of Othello. Or, uh, no, not obtained, but like the things that you really wish would have worked, like Golden Compass, right? Mm-hmm. Golden Compass is one of the greatest tragedies in my mind because it should have worked. The casting was really good. The casting was great. The visual the design. The book is so good. The Golden Compass, yeah. that is one of the greatest young adult fantasies. Mm. I actually prefer it to the Narnia books, and they were kind of written in direct response to yes. them. Well, let's not go there, but let's just say (laughs) that movie was heartbreaking to watch because I was bored out of my skull. Mm -hmm. 
despite them being incredibly faithful. And it's one of the things that formed a pillar of how I view adaptation is, well, you can't obviously just be faithful because otherwise you have the danger of the golden compass. Yeah. And maybe it's less faithful than I'm remembering, but I read the book and then the movie came out like two years later or a year later. And I seem to recall that I had a pretty good handle on that and was like, wow, this is a scene from the book. This is a scene from the book. This is a scene from the book. Why is Mm -hmm. this not working? Yeah. It just didn't have any of the the personality. Maybe? I don't even think it's that or the magic. So my my belief, and I again this is just basing it off one thing. My belief is that the pacing and methods of doing dialogue, the methods of building chapters and things in a book are just so fundamentally different mm-hmm. from the cinematic form for most people. Some people, obviously, it's different. You know, we've talked about Michael Crichton. I think Michael mm-hmm. Crichton, he writes, he writes books. incredibly filmable yeah. books. But in a lot of cases, it's just you have to be able to break the thing down to its core and rebuild it to something that is capturing the essence. Mm-hmm. And they instead tried to adapt straight across. And you ended up with book pacing in a movie, which was boring. And because they don't have enough time in a film to get these things across. Like in the book, you can take a lot of time to show don't tell, right? Because you have mm-hmm. pages and pages. Showing instead of telling is almost always going to take more time. Not every time, but a lot of the time. Yeah. And telling is fast. And so if they just lift the dialogue and some of the monologues and things from the books and put them on screen and then quickly have to go from scene to scene because they just have to get this all in, it is just a series of monologues and dialogues that are boring because they're paced like what's in a book. It's hard yeah. to explain. But. No, no. That I think I think that is a good explanation. Mm-hmm. So now what about Lightning Thief? So I've read Lightning Thief. I did not see the adaptation because a lot of people don't like it. Yeah. And so I did. I okay. So you can't really, I can't talk, really about talk about that. Okay. Because that's another YA fantasy that just absolutely didn't land mm-hmm. in any way. And I, that's one where I've seen the movie and not read the book. Oh, okay. So between the two of us, we yeah. can not talk about this in yeah, any effectual way. Artemis Fowl. I enjoyed the book, didn't see the movie because the ratings were so bad. It sounds like it might be so bad that it's good, <laughs> but didn't want to go see it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, do you have any others? Well, we were going to talk about bringing it back to the beginning. If you were going to pick one movie to write a book sequel to. Okay. What would you write a book sequel to Ooh. as a film? Ooh. Right? Okay. So let's pick something that's not like Star Wars, just like I'm going to write a Star Wars book. Like, write a Star yeah. Wars. Okay, no, I got to pick a movie. Yeah. And then I've got to do a book. Yeah. Follow up to it. And it can be one that did have a follow-up. Like, if you wanted to pick Jaws, I think there is a Jaws sequel that Benchley wrote. Yeah. But you could go ahead and write your own. No. Honestly, my mind goes immediately to thrillers, which is kind of Mm -hmm. the same thing as you can't just pick Star Wars, right? Like, if I pick French Connection or The Conversation or something like that, that's Mm -hmm. basically, I'm going to do a crime thriller or a spy thriller with the same characters... Yeah. That feels like cheating to me. Maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe you can do one of those and something else. Because the thing I would most like to write probably would be in Indiana Jones. But by my own rules, that's not allowed, (laughs) right? So I think we can allow it if you can tell us what you would do. Oh, I I have no idea. I'd have to think about it a lot. I haven't actually given that thought. Maybe that'll 
Maybe mm-hmm. that'll be. I mean, they're they're working on a fifth in Indiana Jones right now, which is yes. weird because there was never a fourth one. Yeah, why would they but do fifth? Mm-hmm. The puzzle of taking Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and figuring out what to do with it now that he's old. Yeah, is one that I'm very interested to see how they solve, and okay. that's that that is a compelling storytelling problem for me. Okay, uh, that's and I, interesting. I kind of. I'm very tempted to lean toward like a Batman Beyond model mm-hmm. where Indiana Jones is so old and so broken by running away from boulders and Nazis and who mm-hmm. knows what else for decades on end that now he's just the guy in the chair for some new guy. That would be a very hard sell in a movie because nobody wants to see, pulling an example out of the air, Shia LaBeouf as the new Indiana Jones, right? Nobody wants to see somebody wear that hat who isn't Harrison Ford. But I I think in a book, you could do it. I disagree a little bit. I think went wrong, potentially Shia LaBeouf, which he's actually good in that film. He is. That's not the problem with that film. The problem is we don't want a Indiana Jones legacy. But I think we would be totally fine, at least I would be totally fine with another person wearing the hat and being Indiana Jones. I don't think okay. Harrison Ford was so iconic. And maybe this is just because as soon as I saw the screen trials for Mustache Man, what's his name, Magnum P.I., in that oh. role, I immediately am like, oh, yeah, I could totally see Spielberg mm-hmm. directing this guy and making a different take on him, but a good one. I totally can see somebody else as Indiana Jones. But if you're going to have Harrison Ford in it, he needs to be telling a story and it needs to be him for five minutes, a la the beginning of- The young Indiana Jones Chronicles? And then a new adventure of Indiana Jones in the past. And you can then leave him with with his happy ending with Marion if you want to from movie four. And it can just be, he's telling his story and then you flashback and we get a whole Indiana Jones adventure. I don't love that style of storytelling, but if you're going to put Harrison Ford in it, that is That's my what it needs to be, huh? solution to it. I don't think Harrison Ford wants to be an action hero anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think he works really well as an action hero anymore. Yeah. I think the idea of trying to adapt that character and mm-hmm. that style of storytelling to a different era is interesting. That is. There's a big part of me that agrees with you and mm-hmm. what I want to see is a different actor take on the role, you know, in the same way and and I mm-hmm. one thing that always delights and puzzles me is mm-hmm. how we are so protective of movies. Yes. In a way that we are not protective of plays. Now, plays are intended to be made over and over again with different sets and different casts but the same words. And you know, we've seen a bunch of people play Hamlet, and the idea of anyone other than him playing Indiana Jones feels anathema to us, and that's interesting to me. But I would love, for example, the the example I always used to use was Knight Rider. I want to see somebody take all the old Knight Rider scripts, treat them as plays, and just remake them. New actors, new effects, new everything, but the exact same scripts. That's what I want to see. How's that, Ben? 